You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. You know, when I was young, I used to love all the Christmas cartoons that they run on TV each year. You know, whether that be an annual visit from Rudolph, Rossi, Charlie Brown, or even The Grinch, I loved every single minute of them. But the strange thing is that I never saw any of the classic Christmas movies until I was an adult. I'm quite certain that I saw Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation long before I ever saw Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life. Well, today my wife Mary Jane will be joining me to discuss the lesser-known 1947 Christmas movie, The Bishop's Wife, and it starred Cary Grant, Loretta Young, and David Niven. So is this movie another classic like It's a Wonderful Life, or could it actually be a dud? Well, in a few moments we'll let you know if The Bishop's Wife is worthy of being ranked among the best Christmas movies of all time. Hmm. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless information. So Mary Jane, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Now, this movie we're about to talk about, The Bishop's Wife, we watched over your Thanksgiving break. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, I had suggested to you right before Thanksgiving that maybe to do something a little different that we should review a Christmas movie. And that's why we chose this. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we watched actually four Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one we decided to leave for next year. We actually liked it, but we're not going to say what it was. Right. And Comedy. Then, mm-hmm. Right. And then there's this one. In the end, we there were two that we narrowed it down to. It's this one and the other one that we're going to leave. And I asked you to choose which one you wanted to do, and you opted for The Bishop's Wife. Uh, yes. I mean, it definitely has a clear Christmas theme. Right, where the other movie wasn't quite a Christmas movie. It just It just had a Christmas scene in it. So anyway, the movie is The Bishop's Wife, and it's loosely based on the 1928 novella by Robert Nathan. Now, I haven't read the book, and I know you haven't either, but supposedly it's much different and much darker uh, than this movie was. Now, as we're going to find out in a few minutes, uh, the angel in this movie is named... Dudley. That's correct, but in the book, it's named Michael. And honestly, I like the name Michael better, but I, I think because this movie's kind of a comedy... Uh, Dudley just seem more appropriate. You know? Right. It's a, it's a very lighthearted movie. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's black and white. It runs an hour and 49 minutes. It's directed by Henry Coster. Now, interestingly, William Sider was the original director on the project, but after producer Samuel Goldwyn uh, saw the preliminary shots of it, he just didn't like how it was coming out. So he ordered a new director, uh, actually kind of recast the movie, uh, rewrote it, and they refilmed it. And it was at an incredible expense to them at the time. 
It premiered on December 9th of 1947 in New York City, and then it went into full release on February 16th of 1948, which I found kind of interesting. It went into full release in February for a Christmas movie. It seems a little odd, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like poor timing. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, now, the title, The Bishop's Wife, implies that it was a religious movie. That's At least that was the perception by a lot of people. So in some markets where they thought that was hindering uh, ticket sales, and since Cary Grant was in this movie, it was marketed as Cary and the Bishop's Wife. And in those areas, uh, they noticed that the box office receipts actually went up. Yeah, that would make sense. The movie was remade in 1996 as The Preacher's Wife, and it starred Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. Now, interestingly, I do remember when that movie came out, you know, and having been raised in a Jewish household, I remember when I first saw the name The Preacher's Wife, I just kind of assumed it was a religious movie. So I can understand why that happened in the 1940s when The Bishop's Wife was released. Right, yeah. In fact, it's a romantic comedy. Right. And uh, if anybody wants to watch this, it is for free on the Roku channel, although it does have commercials in it. I believe all the other streaming services have it, you know, but you do have to pay for it like Amazon and so on. And of course, you can get it through your public library. The movie stars David Niven as Bishop Henry Brougham. His wife is played by Loretta Young. His wife's name is Julia. Cary Grant plays Dudley the Angel, uh, and you wouldn't think he'd ever be a good angel, but he actually pulls it off. Mm, Yes, he does Um, a good job. And Mary Jane, why don't you tell about the uh, three minor characters in this movie? Sure. There's Monty Woolley as the as Professor Wuthridge. There's Gladys Cooper as the rich parishioner Agnes Hamilton, and James Gleason as Sylvester, the taxi driver. Now, this movie was nominated for five Academy Awards in 1948, and this would have been for movies in 1947. So uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Editing, Best Score, and Best Sound. It only won one award. That was for Best Sound. Well, that year, the best movie and director went to Aaliyah Kazan for Gentleman's Agreement. Oddly, Miracle on 34th Street was also nominated for Best Picture that year. There were only five movies, and two of them were Christmas. Right. Uh, and interestingly, uh, Loretta Young, who plays the wife in this movie, she didn't win or wasn't even nominated for uh, this role but she did win Best Actress that year for The Farmer's Daughter. In this movie, you have a bishop. He's played by David Niven, and he's very focused on his career. And he's mostly focused, at least when the movie starts, on having a cathedral built. And he's trying to get money from a rich woman who's played by Gladys Cooper. He's trying to get money from her to get this cathedral built. And as a result, he's basically ignoring his wife and his child. And clearly, the wife is not happy. The spark is just gone from their relationship. And the bishop, because he's so desirous to get the money to get this cathedral built, he prays for divine intervention. Of course, that's when the angel appears. And the angel is not what you'd expect an angel to be. There's no wings, and he doesn't glow or anything. His name is Dudley, and he's played by Cary Grant. Not, you know, well-dressed and real, you know... Very charming. Very charming. charming. Right. And uh, he, of course, is sent down to help him out. And of course, the bishop thinks he's there to help about the cathedral. But in reality, and you know this from the beginning, Dudley is there to restore their relationship. Yes, but actually by almost stealing his wife. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll get into that in a bit. Anyway, Dudley charms everyone, and we mean everyone. Any anyone, every woman who looks at him does what? Oh, they swoon, they yeah. giggle. It's <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, anyway. Everyone just loves Dudley, and uh, and that includes the bishop's wife. 
And of course, that kind of sets up what's going on here. Dudley begins to entertain the wife, and it looks like they're about to have a budding relationship, and the bishop becomes very jealous over this. So why don't we talk a little bit about the three main characters in the movie. Let's start with David Niven, who plays the bishop. What would, how would you describe him? He's very uptight. He doesn't know how to have fun. I mean, there's right. one example when he comes into the kitchen and the servants are uh, preparing the meal, and, and the, one of the servants hides the fact that she's baked a cake because mm-hmm. he doesn't think they should eat cake. It's too special on an average day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uptight is a good way to describe him. He hardly ever smiles through the whole movie. And it's what you'd expect. You know, he's so focused on getting this cathedral built that he's ignoring everything else. And he really doesn't want anyone else to have fun. If he's not having fun, nobody else should either. Now, that introduces the second character, which is the wife, uh, Julia, who's played by Loretta Young. Now, what did you think about her? Um, I thought she did a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, be- because in the movie, there's, as we kind of said, there's this relationship building between her and Cary Grant or Dudley. And um, she just acts like she's having fun and she mm-hmm. doesn't realize that where it's going in a way and that she's doing everything that's all, you know, above board, so to speak. Right. Now, I said this to you after we watched the movie. Right at the end, I said, I really thought she made the movie. I thought she was just an incredible actress. You know, great expression on her face. She used her eyes. Originally, Teresa Wright, who we've seen in other movies, she was originally cast into, the, into this role, but she got pregnant and had to drop out. I can't imagine this movie having been a success if Teresa Wright had uh, played the wife. I think Loretta Young was perfect for this role. I totally agree. I mean, I think the camera loves her. For one thing, she's gorgeous. (laughs) Um, But she was very convincing in the role also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the one thing you commented to me at the end is you thought maybe she may have been a smoker because she was so incredibly thin. It is frightening to see how her silhouette, she's incredibly slim. And um, I did read afterward that she was a lifelong smoker, so that could be the reason why she was so thin. I mean, there are some people who are naturally thin like that, but she was just extremely thin. Yes, yes, she was pencil thin. Mm -hmm. I mean, shockingly thin, actually. Right. Okay, and the third character is Dudley, who's played by Cary Grant. Now, what did you think about him? Um, You know, he got the best role. It was the lead I would say he's the main character. I think he did a great job with it. He kind of walked that thin line between doing his job as an angel and almost committing infidelity, if an, if an angel can do that. Now, of course, I, I was familiar with David Niven, and I everyone's familiar with Cary Grant. Yes. There wasn't a moment in this movie that I didn't forget. I was watching David Niven, and I didn't, you know, not for a second did I not realize, you know, it was in my head the whole time, that's Cary Grant. Cary Grant, even though he's in a comedic role, it was still Cary Grant, you know? He actually played a lot of comedic roles. So yes, that he looked like who he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, just a year before this, another classic Christmas movie came out. That was It's a Wonderful Life, which starred, of course, Jimmy Stewart. And I have to say, there's no comparison between these two movies. It's a, it's a Wonderful Life. It's just so much better. It's a different it, caliber. It's a different mm-hmm. caliber of movie. I mean, you know when you watch It's a Wonderful Life, it's a classic, classic movie. I wouldn't say that's the case about this movie. Now, uh, you had met, I wasn't really thinking that as we were watching the movie, but after we were done, you said, why don't we go back and watch It's a Wonderful Life? Well, we'll talk about a little bit about my opinion of this movie sure. afterward. 
But why don't, we, why don't you talk a little bit about It's a Wonderful Life? So the reason I thought we should watch both was because they do have some of the same themes. You've got a man very distraught and an angel who comes down to help him mm-hmm. kind of change his perspective on life. Uh, it, they're both distraught over money. You have George Bailey who's misplaced the $8,000 and of course the bishop who needs to raise money to build this cathedral. And they both have this interest in buildings, actually. I Mm -hmm. mean, when um, George Bailey's very young, he talks about he's going to build skyscrapers and he's going to do all these great things. And so you have that similarity also. They also don't seem to appreciate their home life, their wives, their children. Mm -hmm. So you do have a similarity there. But it pretty much stops there. I mean, the the style of the movies, I mean, I feel It's a Wonderful Life is, is not a light comedy by any no. means. And it's very right? dark. I mean, the guy is basically moving for, closer and closer to suicide in the movie. Right, right. He, I mean, it's truly quite a serious movie for, for quite a bit of the, throughout the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, The Bishop's Wife is, is very, very lighthearted. There's a lot of, you know, comedy in it. So the comparisons really change when it comes to the angels. You have Clarence of It's a Wonderful Life, who's this older, bumbling angel who hasn't managed to get his wings for 293 years. And then you have Cary Grant, who plays Dudley, who basically, the minute he walks in the room, he charms everybody. So he's a complete opposite in that sense. And in fact, uh, Clarence doesn't really have a very big part in the movie he's probably in the, the last quarter of the movie i'm not even sure that much yeah he has a small part it's important he's a great actor but it's not at all like the angel and a bishop the bishop's wife just because he plays the main role one thing you notice is there were some characters that were the same in both movies mm-hmm. i i it just went by me because i hadn't, i hadn't seen it's a wonderful life in so many years i didn't recognize it yeah the first one is the daughter in both movies is the same person. It's Carolyn Grimes. She plays the daughter Debbie in The Bishop's Wife. And of course, she's Zuzu Bailey in... It's a Wonderful Life. Right. Yeah. And she has that famous line. Look, Daddy. Teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And then, I didn't notice this either, there's a snowball fight and there's a boy... You know who's the kind of the head leader, of the leader, leader of the, pack. the leader mm-hmm. of the pack. You know that's the same boy who played George Bailey as a young boy in It's a Wonderful Life, and uh, I looked it up, and his name is Bobby Anderson. And then there's one neither of us saw. I just happened to notice this when I was doing some research, uh, and that is the church organist in The Bishop's Wife. Uh, that's Mrs. Duffy. She's played by Sarah Edwards. She also plays Mrs. Hatch. That's Mary's mom who owns the boarding house in It's a Wonderful Life. So there are three people in these two classic movies that came out about Christmas within one year of each other. Yes, it makes you think there was a very limited amount, especially of child uh, actors. Yeah, I read actually that Carolyn Grimes wasn't originally the daughter, but then I guess because they went and refilmed it and there's a lot of delays and stuff, uh, you know, she was pulled in to do it. Yeah, she she was actually very good. Mm-hmm. In both movies, I thought she did a great job for a, a child. Right. Yeah. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Mary Jean, uh, when the movie was over, we both briefly talked about what we thought about the movie. Sure. And Mm -hmm. uh, right after that, I wrote down a few words. These are just words. Uh, I wrote down it was entertaining, it was harmless, it was kind, very kind movie, humorous, very lighthearted. But I also wrote down that the movie dragged at times. Yes. I mean, I would say at one point I was just thinking, this is seeming a bit long and it's right. never a good sign when you think a movie is long or too long. Whereas, uh, you know, watching It's a Wonderful Life, which I hadn't seen for all those years, not for a second did I feel like it was dragging. I felt like the story was moving along. And, and it, I know there are others who have criticized it for needing some editing, but I actually, uh, you know, was sucked right in and taken right along the whole way, you know? I think it's a very well-told story. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's entirely the case with the bishop's wife. So yes, when a, a movie can be actually much longer and you don't even feel it mm-hmm. if, if it's well to- the story is well-told. And you had mentioned this to me, that the movie checks all the boxes. I think they were trying to do that. By, mm-hmm. They had a boys' choir playing. What else? They had a lot of special effects for the miracles in right. The Bishop's Wife. And it, it seemed almost like they were trying to achieve something because they, you know the, the story wasn't good enough, that they mm-hmm. needed those to kind of prop right. it up a bit. And after you said that to me, um, you know, of course we went back, we watched this movie over Thanksgiving again. and we mm-hmm. watched it again because we kind of over a period of two weeks kind of forgot what was in the movie. Uh, and I just wrote down some of these things that it seemed to check off the boxes, as you said. It's clearly you have the religious message. Mm-hmm. Um, you have lots and lots of miracles. In fact, I noticed the second time we were watching, you were writing down every, every single one. It was just, so it's just many. like there were so many in this movie. Of course, there's a love story there. You have the boys' choir, as you mentioned, singing. There was the skating scene. Uh, of course, they throw in humor. Which we should talk about later on, the skating scene. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just too many miracles. And I have nothing wrong with miracles. And I've seen many Christmas movies, but some that are far more religious than this movie. But um, I don't know. It just seemed like there was one around every single corner. It kind of detracts from the movie. Yes, you I know? agree. Um, and a lot of them weren't even just miracles. They were special effects. I mean, there's this one scene where he has to file all these index cards and put yes. them out the order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the magic of uh, cinema, they all of a sudden are flying through the air and they just file themselves. And then, of course, you have uh, the decoration of the Christmas tree. He just kind of waves his arms, and the tree becomes decorated. Probably the it's just a minor trick is where the uh, glass of sherry uh, for the professor just keeps it, it filling keeps itself. Keeps refilling, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. The one that did impress me was the typewriter, where he's basically dictating. This is the angel Carrie Granny's dictating, mm-hmm. and the typewriter is you know pressing the keys down, 
And of course, the characters are appearing on the uh, piece of paper. That one, I was like, wow, how did they do how that? How did they do it? You know, yeah. I mean, today with computers, you could easily do it, but uh, that had to be quite the uh, feat in the, in the day. Now, I did mention that I, I thought this movie dragged, and there were two scenes in particular that I thought really slowed the story down. It's not that the scenes were bad. In fact, I enjoyed both the scenes. They were both very well done. But they, you know, the story's moving along, and then they throw in several minutes of something that didn't quite you know, keep the action going, keep the story going. The first one was the choir scene. Uh, Cary Grant goes into this church, and the choir, there's just like two boys sitting there, and then he just starts moving his hands, and the next and, person... Uh, more boys arrive. And, and they were wonderful uh, performers, but it was, what, three and a half, four minutes? I don't know how long the scene was. And it just kind of brought the story, it slowed it down. And the other one, which was incredibly done, is the skating scene. Want you, you want to mention a little bit about that? Well, sure. I, I mean, we know from having really analyzed it that it wasn't always the actors doing the mm-hmm. skating. But I thought they did a wonderful job sure. of hiding that with the shadows and, and mm-hmm. their faces. And, um, of course, the skating is beautiful. Um, but, of course, they start out not knowing how to skate well. Right. And one of the other miracles of you know thanks to Dudley is that then then they become great skaters mm-hmm. and um it's just it's be- just a beautiful scene and they it was well done if you really analyze you, you can tell that it's not Cary Grant <laughs> doing some of those jumps and turns um but it was it was quite nice I thought yeah the, the guy that they got and I looked this up it was Eugene Turner he was an American champion figure skater right he he was uh, standing in uh, for some of those uh, you know more those extravagant uh, skating moves He's a lot shorter than Cary Grant is. It's very obvious when yeah, you're watching were, on the screen. Yeah, there were times you could tell. But um, uh, Although I did read that Cary Grant was a fairly decent skater, and he wanted to do it all, but they wouldn't let him. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of saw that in the beginning when mm-hmm. he actually gets on the ice. I'm like, oh, that, that's him, and he's he seems pretty confident right. here, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, and as you said, the lighting was incredible. Even as they'd come around in front of the camera, the way they had it lighted, you never saw their faces like, you know, of the people who were standing in for them. Yeah. And honestly, the scene, if you just took that scene out and watched it, you would go, wow. Particularly at the part where the three of them are kind of skating in unison. Yes. Yeah. But I, again, I felt it slowed the movie down. I mean, I would, I would have maybe kept that. But the problem I had actually with the movie is it seemed scattered in what it was trying to accomplish or the story it was trying to tell you actually had the angel changing the lives of three people. I mean, there mm-hmm. were two other people whose lives he changed. You had a professor who was an atheist, and at the end he had been converted to a, you know, a churchgoer. Mm-hmm. And then you had the rich parishioner who had a kind of, as she said, a religious experience, and she changed from being very controlling of her money to being generous. Mm-hmm. And it just, there was so much they were trying to, it seemed to accomplish in the movie, trying to kind of throw too much in it for the story, I thought. So I went back and uh, pulled out some of the old newspaper reviews on this movie, and I also found some on It's Wonderful Life. So why don't we read some of those? Sure. And this first article I chose is from the December 26, 1947 publication of the Los Angeles Times, and it's written by Philip K. Schuer. And I chose this because it has a couple of paragraphs about how you can forget that it's Cary Grant. So here we go. Quote, I can understand why he was chosen for the part. 
He's a good actor, one of the most ingratiating, and he is entirely a regular guy. The idea was, as one of us, he would be more readily believable than if he appeared in a burst of light as a bearded avenging angel. Nevertheless, he is Grant, as much to the other players as to the audience, and it is sometimes hard to remember where he is supposed to come from. You will just have to reconcile the two images in your mind as best you can, allowing for the man's imperfections, if not for the heavenly messengers. Happily, Grant makes that easy to do most of the time. Okay, Mary Jane, why don't you read the next one? So this is from December 26, 1947, the Los Angeles Daily News. In the hands of Cary Grant, Dudley epitomizes the spirit of goodwill toward men. There is nothing stuffy about his goodness, nor is there any naivete. He makes Dudley a charming, gracious, and rather worldly angel, a fellow who winds up his mission on earth just in time to sidestep the temptations of mortality. Okay, my turn. This next one's also from December 26, 1947, and appeared in the Boston Globe and was penned by Marjorie Adams. Samuel Goldwyn has turned Santa Claus and is offering Boston its best Christmas gift of the holiday season at the Astra Theater in the form of a charming, fantastic, delightful, and heartwarming film, The Bishop's Wife. She goes on to say, Don't miss The Bishop's Wife. It's better than a dozen mugs of eggnog for lifting the spirits and driving away high-cost-of-living blues. The film has been handled with a light touch and no attempt has been made to cram the moral down the collective throat of an audience. But you do feel glad and gay when you leave the theater after spending more than two hours with the enchanting and angelic Dudley. As an angel, Cary Grant is perfect and undoubtedly a million girls want him for their Christmas trees. So those three reviews on The Bishop's Wife, but I also found three on It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, what I've read just in general over the years about It's a Wonderful Life is that people hated this movie when it came out. So I was curious to see if that was really the case. So let's see what they had to say. And this is from the December 21st, 1946 publication of the New York Daily News, and it was penned by Kate Cameron. And I'll just jump down to the key parts. Quote, The film is too sprawling in extent, too noisy as to background music and voices, and much too obvious in the application of its social significance notes. But while it isn't the best picture to come out of Hollywood this year, nor is it Capra's masterpiece, it tells a good story and its conclusion has a heartwarming effect on the audience. And then we'll jump to the last paragraph. The picture would have been greatly improved by some judicious editing. It runs too long for its own good. So Mary Jane wanted to take the next one. This is from December 22nd, 1946, in the Star Tribune, written by Bob Murphy. A motion picture projectionist is a hard-boiled character as far as motion pictures are concerned. He sees many movies and may see each one often, and his verdict concerning a number which you happen to like may be strictly thumbs down. But when the operator walked out of the booth after showing It's a Wonderful Life and said, that's what the motion picture art was invented for. He could find no dissenters among the onlookers, including this one. It's a Wonderful Life will be looked back on in years to come, in my mind, as one of the classics of filmdom. And I picked this one out simply because here's a guy in 1946 predicting 
that this movie will someday be a classic. Yes. And here we are in 2022. And what is the movie? It's a, it's a classic for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What a great prediction. An amazing prediction. Yeah. So anyway, uh, why don't you read the uh, final paragraph of this? Sure. It's a Wonderful Life is mellow, optimistic, laconically philosophical, richly conceived, and expertly executed. In fact, a wonderful picture. It has been a long time since anything hit me like this job. I, I guess, you know, probably the movie had mixed reviews at the time. You know, first we, the first one I read was a little bit on the negative side, and this one is like over the top in terms of how great it is, you know? Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think he's, he's right. It, it, it really is a great movie, mm-hmm. and, and he seemed to know that at the time. I think also that for some people, the movie was a little too close to home. I mean, there were many men that had just gotten out of the war that were depressed and possibly suicidal. So I don't know if that many people wanted to see a movie like that at the time, whereas now it's quaint, and so it doesn't hit us in the same way. I think it hit people really in a different way back then. Mm-hmm. That's a good observation. Yeah. And I'll read one more review, and this is from the December 26, 1946 publication, Los Angeles Daily News. And this one's actually written by Virginia White, who wrote the same review that you just read on The Bishop's Wife. And she was far more positive about The Bishop's Wife than she was It's a Wonderful Life. And I'll just read you a little bit of it. Quote, the moral of the piece is that if you have friends, you're rich. And to prove it, all the townspeople crowd into the young man's home to leave contributions. Even the bank examiner adds his bit. How impressed you are by all this probably will depend on your reaction to Christmas card mottos. While the film as a whole lacks unity and some of the scenes are exaggerated beyond reason, there are touches by Capra and certain performances which warrant your attention. James Stewart has moments of great charm and touching appeal as the harassed young man, but he also overplays the scene of his furious frustration. Much quieter but thoroughly delightful is Donna Reed as the girl he finally marries, and Henry Travers gives the whole thing a great lift when he comes on as the guardian angel. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So now we come to that magic time. We need to rate the movie. And since we're both teachers and we're calling this bad apples, um, we rate it out of 100 points, right? Sure. So do you want to go first or should I go first? Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, Well, comparing it with the other movies I've seen, I think this is the weakest of them. But it's not a bad movie. It's an entertaining movie. So I think I'm just going to give it a solid 80. Um, I think that's pretty much what I give it. You know, B. Okay. Um, I would give it an 85. <laughs> I want to be in your class. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I think I think it's still enjoyable, you know, and it has all the things that you love in a nineteen a fairly well done nineteen forties movie. You've got the beautiful clothes, you've got the the interesting furniture. It you know, it's just it still takes you back to a time, and, and, and it's it's still a fun movie. One thing I want to add to your comment there sure. is the sets themselves. Uh, 
I never really felt for a moment that it was truly a set. Some of the other movies we've watched, you can tell it's filmed on a stage, you know. This one was had a little bit more of a homey feel to it, a little bit more realistic. And in fact, the one thing that really stood out to me was the snow. It really seemed very realistic to me, considering you know it's probably filmed in California and it's not real, you know. Right, right. I mean, there's also a lot of snow. That just makes me think of It's a Wonderful Life. They also had to produce that snow. Right. Uh, I think actually for uh, It's a Wonderful Life, that's the only Academy Award they won was for something like... Like special effects Special effects for about snow. snow. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I could be wrong on that, but I seem to recall reading that somewhere. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're fairly close in our ratings. Now, would you recommend that someone watch this movie? You know, I always say if you like old movies... Mm-hmm. You know, um, yes, this was a, 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 a fun, good movie that, yes, you should watch. And you should watch with friends, maybe. You know, I really mm-hmm. think it's something nice to discuss with people. Uh, older movies, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good movie. I would, it, it, I mean, I've seen some really, not just Chris, bad Christmas movies, which is bad movies overall. This is not a bad movie, but it's not It's a Wonderful Life. You, you can't watch this and expect that. But if you want a lighthearted, entertaining movie, it's it's perfect, honestly, for Christmas. Yeah, it, it started to have that romantic ending, and then it seemed oh, yeah. to have a second ending. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I wish that it stopped right there at the yeah. romantic ending. But. Odd, oddly, I had the same exact feeling at the end of the movie, that they should have stopped it you know, right uh, when their marriage kind of worked out, and then they kind of tacked on that sermon at the end. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I, the sermon actually was beautiful, but... Right. I wish they had ended the movie just before that. Well, it almost looked like two endings. Right, that's, exactly. That's never good, I don't yeah. think. You know. It's not as bad as some movies where they have three or four or five oh endings. Like, some is this movie many. Right? <laughs> yes. This one just seemed to have two endings to yeah. it. So, uh, so let's listen to that. Sure. Tonight I want to tell you the story of an empty stocking. Once upon a midnight clear, there was a child's cry. A blazing star hung over a stable, and wise men came with birthday gifts. We haven't forgotten that night down the centuries. We celebrated with stars on Christmas trees, with the sound of bells, and with gifts, but especially with gifts. You give me a book, I give you a tie. Aunt Martha has always wanted an orange squeeze. And Uncle Henry could do with a new pipe. We forget nobody, adult or child. All the stockings are filled. All that is, except one. And we have even forgotten to hang it up. A stocking for the child born in a manger. It's his birthday we're celebrating. Don't let us ever forget that. Let us ask ourselves what he would wish for most. And then let each put in his share. Loving kindness, warm hearts, and the stretched out hand of tolerance. All the shining gifts that make peace on earth. Okay, so I guess that's our review of The Bishop's Wife. We both liked the movie. I wouldn't sure, say yeah. we both 
thought it was the greatest movie ever made. But uh, if, if you have a chance to see it, you really should. Yep, it's worth seeing. So I guess we should uh, say goodbye and uh, wish everyone a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, uh, whatever, you know, happy, happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah yes. uh, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, yep. and enjoy the new year. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.